the Construction Employers Podcast, your connection to what's happening in the Northeast Ohio construction industry. Brought to you by the Construction Employers Association. Today's guest is Chantel Brown, who's the chair of the Cuyahoga County Democratic Party and also a county council person here in Cuyahoga County. We got into several issues, both with respect to her role at the party and in the county council. The uh, county jail has been a topic of much criticism prior to the COVID-19 pandemic. And of course, the COVID-19 pandemic and uh, things like the November election and racism as a public health crisis, which the county council recently took up. So I'll let her do the talking, but uh, she was a great guest and wanted to thank her for being on. Without further ado, I give you Chantel Brown. Hello, Councilwoman Brown. Hi, Tim. How are you? I'm doing well. Thanks for joining me today. Thank you for having me. I appreciate the opportunity. Absolutely. And it's it's good to be able to do these uh, podcasts by phone. I'm, I'm glad that we have the equipment. And uh, I think everybody's doing a lot of Zoom meetings and teleconferences. So uh, thanks for taking the time. I know you're busy. <laughs> it's my pleasure. So you are a county council person for Cuyahoga County in District 9. That's Warrensville Heights area? Yes, I actually represent 10 of the 59 communities in uh, Cuyahoga County. I have uh, Bedford, Bedford Heights, parts of Cleveland, Wards 1 and 4, Highland Hills, North Randall, Orange, Pepper Pike, Shaker Heights, Warrensville Heights, of course, and Woodmere Village. So it's a very... Um, very large and diverse area, and I'm proud to say it's most reflective of Cuyahoga County as a whole. So when you look at the demographics as far as uh, ethnicity, household income, education, um, District 9 practically mirrors Cuyahoga County. Okay. And how many people are in District 9? I'm sorry, say that again? How many uh, people are in District 9? Oh, well, I represent 110,000 constituents. We, each of the uh, county council members, there are 11 of us, so we, we roughly represent anywhere from 110,000 to about 130 max. Mm-hmm. Okay. That's quite a few people. <laughs> yes, it is, it, is, it is a large group of uh, individuals, and, uh, it's, and, and given the diversity of my district, it, uh, the, the need very very extensively. I have uh, the inner city to the outer ring suburbs and so have some of the um, more impoverished communities in, mm-hmm. in Cleveland as well as um, some of the more affluent communities in uh, Cuyahoga County. So it keeps me on my toes, that's for sure. Yeah, that's a good perspective to have, though. <laughs> yes, absolutely. I think um, it prepared me for my, my other position as a county public chair just having so much diversity in my council district and it, it really uh, put me in a position to be able to connect with uh, individuals on every level when um, the opportunity presented itself to become the chairwoman of the Democratic Party. Yeah. And so you've mm-hmm. held county council, you've held that seat uh, since when? Since 2015. So my first, uh, I was reelected in 18 by the people um I was unopposed. My my second time being unopposed, I got my start in the city of Warrensville. Um, I've been serving on county council since 2015, and I 
ran for city council in uh, Warrenville in 2011. Okay. So you started public service in 2011. Ah, uh, yeah. <laughs> that <laughs> it sounds uh, like a long time ago now. And I certainly didn't anticipate being where I am today. Um, the, the funny thing about that is um, I, I actually um, didn't expect to get into politics. I had a question that uh, hit me during the um, Japanese earthquake when they had the huge tsunami um, yeah. and it, you know, caused a natural disaster. That's what actually prompted me to go to my local city council meeting and um, I presented the question, what would happen or where would we go in the event of an emergency? I, at the time, I was the youngest homeowner on my street. My neighbors were all seniors and retirees and they were treating me like their own mm-hmm. uh, grandchild and so uh, me being the person that I am, I'm, I'm like, if I get into a situation where I have to help my neighbors, where do we go? And um, so that's kind of how my um, interest into politics started. I had a, a, a simple, a seemingly simple question, and I presented it at the city council meeting and um, got the answer after the meeting, but it, it kind of pushed me to remain engaged and see what was happening in the community. Um, yeah. There weren't a lot of people at the at the city council meetings. If you've never gone to a city council meeting, those of you who are listening, I would encourage you to do so. You can learn a lot, and it is an excellent way to um, connect personally with the individuals that are having a very huge impact on your everyday life. So um, now can't do that. But uh, the wonderful thing about the pandemic right now, much like what you and I are doing, these meetings are virtual, and they're. Um, much more easily accessible for people's uh, schedules. So if, if you're not able to attend, you there most of them are reposted um, on links on their city websites. And so getting to see how business is done in your city um, can be very eye-opening, and it certainly was for me, and that's what, uh, that's what got me a little bit motivated to to my toe in the political waters because the, the, the individual that represented my ward, which is Ward 5 in Wonsville Heights, um, would say without fail each meeting, all is well in Ward 5. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, I had been there seven years and by the time um, 2011 had rolled around and all was not well in Ward 5. <laughs> I am very much a person who believes in speaking things into existence, but I think... Uh, I think we have to do a little bit more than just say things are well. And so rather okay. than complain, um, my my family has raised me to be the change you want to see. And so I thought, why not? Rather than, you know, just talk about it, I'll I'll take the chance and see if I can become the city council person. Yeah. So that's, that's how that went. <laughs> so what'd you do? We knock on doors and put up signs? and. <laughs> Yeah, so um, funny you should ask. So because I um, because I continued going to the meetings, I started to cultivate relationships with the administration at the time um, under um, uh, May rest in peace, the former mayor Clinton Hall, and um, the administration saw my eagerness and willingness to roll up my sleeves and actually do work. And they said, if you need some help out there, give us a call. And I put them up at their words. Mm-hmm. Um, as they gave me their business cards and I knocked on my neighbor's doors, I, they they were very vocal <laughs> in about as it related to expressing the needs in the neighborhood. And so I remember a couple of things that occurred that really, I would say, um, gained, helped me gain 
some great momentum. I had a couple of ladies that pointed out some trees that hadn't been cut, um, a sewer that hadn't been cleaned. And so being kind of on the younger side of um, of the administration, I used my uh, iPhone to take pictures of mm-hmm. the things that the residents were complaining about. And I emailed them to the service department and what email things started getting done. And so um, here I am, not even an elected official, getting uh, things done for my neighbors that they had been wanting to have taken care of for literally years. And so that kind of spread like wildfire. And um, fast forward to Election Day, I, um, I'm i seeing all of the people that I met along the way. Hi, Ms. Johnson. Hi, Ms. Lindu. You know, yeah. <laughs> so um, the polls closed, and I was actually down by six votes. And um, I thought I lost the race, but those who were more seasoned um, said to me, it's not over with. And for me, I was convinced that, you know, this wasn't for me and I was going to move on. And I was quite satisfied because I'm a, being a person of faith. I knew I'd given it my all and I trust God's infinite wisdom. So I had really moved on to him. I was like, okay, that's it. Yeah. But lo and behold, there were 23 provisional ballots in our race. And so with those 23 provisional ballots, it gave an opportunity to change the outcome of the race. There were three of us, um, and being down by six, 23 ballots could certainly change the tide, and it did. Um, 11 days later, I was notified that I had actually won the race by seven votes. Wow. And, uh, <laughs> yes, and I, um, and being a child of faith, seven represents perfection, completion, and God. And so for me, that was kind of, an affirmation that this was more of a calling in my destiny. And I took on the um, position with everything that I had. And I was blessed to be in the company of a, um, of a longtime friend, Mayor Brad Feller. He, had, he was mayor-elect at the time. We ran the same campaign cycle that year. And um, I was also um, observed by my future colleagues. They, they were also paying very close attention to my race. And so what they did I was appointed to the planning commission and in a small city or suburban city, it's been called small, but in a suburban city, Mm -hmm. the planning commission is a really big deal because anything from an addition to your house or to a new business coming in to the city has to go before the planning commission. So it afforded me two uh, key things. And that was how to run a meeting efficiently and effectively. And two, it, it availed me to meet, all types of people throughout the city as well as uh, business uh, business leaders and community. So it positioned me um, for the next opportunity, which was Cuyahoga County Council, whom I had no idea this position even existed before my name was thrown in the paper. And that's how <laughs> that's how that that's how that kind of happened. So, yeah. <laughs> and, and so that was 2015 that you went to county council, right? Yep. So 2014 is when I was uh, when I found my name in that paper, and I actually didn't see it. I'll never forget this day, Tim. I was going into um, city council, so it was a Tuesday, and at the time we had an all female council. Can you believe that? Hmm. We had an entire yep. Every we should have had our own TV show. I'm telling you, <laughs> <laughs> it was an all female council, and I'm getting like these side eyes and stares and glares from my from my peers and I'm like, Lady, what, what, what's up? What's going on? And and someone puts the paper in front of me and it says, Oh, so you're you're leaving us? And I'm like, what is this? And so I read the story and it says it's me and four other folks as potential successors to Seattle Connolly. 
And I had no clue. <laughs> and I'm like, you see, it says I can't read for comment. Like, this, it was like totally um, off my radar. Yeah. But it did not at my spirit. And, um, and so I talked to Mayor Sellers about it. And I, I uh, said, well, what do you think about this? And he said it would be nice to have someone from Warrenfield, but you, you need to talk to the congresswoman first. And so, um, again, being as green as the grass, not understanding the political hierarchy and all of the, you know, uh, things that you're good and fit into, I took his advice. And, um, and he said that if the mayor, meaning Mayor Sellers, mm-hmm. would be willing to support me, then she would. And so um, the rest kind of unfolded from there. And that outcome turned out much different than my first race. There were six of us in that race um, on the on the primary, and I ended up winning um, 48% of the vote in the six-way race. Wow. Yeah, that's pretty convincing. <laughs> Um, so that well, was, that was, that was, that was my journey into California. Yeah. Well, you, um, you talk a lot about, uh, being a person of faith and I see on your, um, mm-hmm. County district nine, um, contact page, it says that you were a, um, volunteer youth minister or youth ministry leader at Mount Olive mm-hmm. Missionary Baptist Church. Are you still doing that? Are you still involved? Well, I'm still involved, but with the um, COVID-19, it's been very challenging. Sure. Um, and, and I think that so what we should do in other churches, um, I pass their whole um, service on Sundays outside so people can come and sit in their cars and witness, um, worship, worship and witness there. Or you can watch online via Facebook. Um, I'm fortunate to have a team of youth ministry leaders who are able to pick up the slack when, when politics kind of pulls me away. And so they've been very diligent about keeping in contact with our youth ministry um, mm-hmm. students, leaders, and making sure that they um, are still staying focused. We've had, as a matter of fact, uh, not this Sunday past, but the Sunday before we do a graduation ceremony and they still um, perform that utilizing social distancing. So we um, we do what we can to make sure that our younger members um, have people that they can look to as examples as opposed to individuals that are just telling them what they should and shouldn't be doing. So that is um, in part motivation for me mm-hmm. um, and, how I, and how I carry myself as far as the politics are concerned. I think it's important to... Um, to lead by example. Right. And so when when the opportunities availed themselves for me to run for office, it wasn't uh, it wasn't a big concern or lifestyle change for me because I had already been working in a position of service, if you will. And so the 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 work that I was doing at Mount Olive um, was almost like a seamless transition into politics because what you're doing is trying to help people in both capacities and figure out how you can best serve them and meet their needs. So, um, so I think that also served as a good foundation for me into um, becoming what I've become mm-hmm. <laughs> in this world of politics. So. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, did you grow up in the same area that you're living now? 
So actually, I am a product of Cleveland, um, Cleveland Public Schools. I grew up on Martin Luther King in Union. Um, I lived there until I was uh, 16 years old, and we moved to the Lee Harvard area. Um, I'm a graduate of John Adams High School, class 1993. Um, (laughs) And it was the second to last class to come out before they tore it down and and rebuilt it. it was, I was an honor student, uh, very proud of that, graduating in the top 10 um, of the class. And so, But I took a very unconventional, non-traditional route, entered the workforce right away. The 90s were different. Mm-hmm. could find a, a good job without having a college degree. Um, so I was able to land a couple of sales jobs that also, um, I think, prepared me for politics. So that. That is uh, that's that's where you know I grew up in my roots and yeah and played sports volleyball basketball wasn't you know I think all those things kind of prepare you for working with others and challenges and um, accepting wins and losses gracefully you know so okay. it, I, I had a I had a very a very good and pleasant uh, upbringing. You still have family in Cleveland. Yep, my both of my parents are still together. So um, they are also proud graduates of John Adams, so we're a family of level. <laughs> <laughs> and um, they were high school sweethearts, and they're still together. And so, um, so yeah, they my family's still here, and I have two siblings, a sister and a brother. I'm the oldest, and I am a proud aunt of six, three nieces, and three nephews whom I affectionately refer to as my birth control. I have no children <laughs> of my own, but I love my nieces and nephews, and I love being able to give them back. So youth ministry and um, auntiehood fits fit me well as far as um, as far as children go. That, that, That's that great. <laughs> yes. That's cool. Um, well, geez, I, you know, everybody I talk to and I've spoken to um, quite you know, a handful of public officials in the last few weeks, but um, there's a lot to talk about and a lot that's super important to talk about with each of you. And I, I know you're right in the middle of it as well with certainly as you're uh, being the chair of the Democratic Party for the county um, and, and as well as the county council, you know, your seat there, you're dealing with some critical issues. What are some of those issues that have been on the top of your of your mind lately? Oh my goodness! So with the um, COVID nineteen, there has that has um, really put pushed a lot of things to the fore that probably um, may not have gotten the attention that they 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 would have garnered um, without the COVID nineteen. Specifically, mm-hmm. we just passed legislation at the uh, at the council on Tuesday uh, that declares racism as a public health crisis. Um, the COVID-19 has been ravaging, uh, the black community and, uh, given some of the underlying conditions that black people are predisposed to, it has had a devastating effect, um, on, on black people coupled with the, um, the witnessing of the death of George Floyd at the knee of an officer. Um, those types of things have really... Uh, forced conversations about racism Mm -hmm. and equity um, that actually had been um, a long part of the Cuyahoga County's work and discussion, but not not to the degree that it has 
in the most recent months. Right. And I can say with uh, some degree of pride that I did not know in 2012, um, the previous, uh, the previous administration under Ed Fitzgerald and uh, my predecessor, C. Ellen Connolly, they had drafted uh, equity legislation, but it just, I guess it kind of got lost in the shuffle and set on the shelf. So um, what we decided to do is not to try to reinvent the wheel, but to um, look at what was already existing and build upon it and to make it a little bit stronger, not a little bit, but a lot stronger, Mm. enforcing deadlines and um, timeframes that will make doing the work um, a much greater and sooner reality than just um, kind of empty words on a paper. And I say that very loosely but respectfully because I know the, the legislation was well intended, but when you don't give it, um, you don't put time frames around it and concrete goals, then it mm-hmm. is subject to just kind of sit there. Um, I think right. another thing that we will be working on as it ties into that same narrative is um, the disparity study around contracting and contracts with the county procurement. Um, how are, how well are we doing with the distribution of uh, making minority businesses primed on some of these contracts that have come before us? And so I think you guys have been and will be an instrumental part of that discussion in the future. Mm-hmm. Another thing um, that I'm very excited about is um, we are looking at working with the Cleveland Foundation and T-Mobile to improve the digital equity throughout Cuyahoga County, where the COVID-19 exposed how many people, um, how many people don't have access to Wi-Fi. Um, you know, just <laughs> it's the Cleveland public school system alone, mm-hmm. uh, CMSD, that, that uh, narrative, I don't know if you remember, but there was a large number of students that could not get online to complete their assignments. And so, yeah, it's a know, big problem. Yeah, so so those are some of the um, some of the things that that we are working on, and naturally, we continue to uh, serve you know the homeless population, the mm-hmm. Adams Board. We're still battling the opioid addiction. We're still trying to uh, address the issues uh, at the jail and, and and all of those things. <laughs> so those things didn't didn't stop. You know, they just our, our workload has been compounded. Yeah, I remember before the pandemic started, um, the jail was already a huge problem that you guys were were addressing, and it's not gotten any. It's not gotten less important. It's just been overshadowed, right? (laughs) Right, exactly. So, as it relates to that, um, I think the um, one of the more positive things I can say is that uh, the prosecutor, the judges, the, the administration um, have all worked collaboratively to reduce the population at the jail significantly. Mm. And it is it is my hope that whatever means, standards, or methods they use to achieve that, that we will continue to use that as um, long after COVID is, is gone. Because if, if indeed it is um, safe enough or if the risk is so great that we don't want to keep them in in jail right. because of COVID, then we should we should be mindful of that when COVID is not an issue. And um, so those are the types of things that we still have to 
continue to contend with and monitor and um, be diligent about shaping policy in the future. Because I, like I said, it's it, it, it's a blessing and a curse um, with the COVID nineteen because you know if, if there was a silver lining, it has forced us to reevaluate um, how we do some of the work that we do and has forced us to do some of it more efficiently. Right. I was going back a couple topics to uh, the dig- digital divide that you're addressing. I was talking to um, Kevin Kelly a few weeks ago, and he that's one of the hey, things Kevin, he was talking yeah. about. Yeah, he he touched on the th- same thing and, um, you know, some of the long-term hopes of, um, you know, treating internet coverage, wired internet coverage as sort of like a utility uh, instead of yeah. individually purchased. You could just you know, pay this as part of your utility bill. It seems like a good idea if we could make it happen. Is there any any kind of discussion like that going on? So at the county level, what we're actually discussing, and it hasn't made it into committee yet, and so I, I, I'm a little bit premature in, in, in talking about this in a, in a public arena, but mm-hmm. um, I, I'm going to go ahead and do it anyway, <laughs> is that... Um, it's is a that, brainstorming it's session, right? Yes, yes, exactly. Thank you, Tim. <laughs> so we're we're brainstorming with uh, T-Mobile and the Cleveland Foundation to um, provide um, provide hotspots to seventy five hundred uh, residents throughout Cuyahoga County, and we're we're hoping that the school systems will help um, us identify those individuals who would benefit from having access to those hotspots. So we want to put this. Um, we want to do this for a two-year period. Why two-year period? Exactly for the reasons that you um, talked about, so that maybe utility companies can come in and um, provide the, the hard wiring that is necessary mm-hmm. to be able to um, get some of these communities that don't have the, that access right now the potential to be able to do that. And we know that that's going to take time and resources. So. So that is the ultimate goal. If we can, um, I think that like, like Kevin and you are kicking around the idea of making a utility, that would be ideal. Um, but in the interim, we, we got to be able to find solutions for, for those individuals. So that is what we anticipate doing in the very, very near future. Um, again, providing the hotspot for two years for hopefully up to 7,500 Cuyahoga County residents and, um, well, that would be that great. Buy us a little bit, a little bit of time, yeah, to to be able to start building that infrastructure. Yeah, it's a huge undertaking to try to wire all those houses. Mm-hmm. Um, Definitely. But you know, the situation that we find ourselves in, nobody ever expected to be in a situation like this. Um, we see how Never. vulnerable we are. Unbelievable. <laughs> yeah. Um, so the 2012 equity legislation that you're you're dusting off and bringing up to date and strengthening, what types of things does that address? So we've, um, I, I have to give a, a huge shout out to my staff because they um, they included data from from several aspects of how um, racism impacts. Uh, the disparities racism has impacted. And so that includes healthcare, um, safe places to work, the criminal justice system, um, working wages. And so many, much of that work is going to start, um, should start and 
within Cuyahoga County itself, within the administration. Is what I mean, not the right. not the but the county as a whole, but in our own organization, our operation, we need to review what it is that we're doing and um, take a look at some of our own policy. Like I mentioned earlier, the disparity study will be an extension, I believe, of the uh, racism as a public health crisis, and we can build and incorporate those two things together if, in fact, the disparity study proves what we anticipate, and that is that the minority business um, community hasn't gotten its fair share or an increase of its share mm-hmm. as relates to contracting. Um, so relative to the equity, we will have a community uh, equity advisory board and equity commission. Those individuals will do the legwork to help us identify some areas for improvement recommendations, some solid recommendations. And um, that group is the, so the, the community advisory uh, board has been identified by executive arm institution. Those individuals will be coming before my committee, which is the Human Resources Appointment and Equity Committee, okay. next week to discuss their willingness to serve and share their background and experience. And the, the good thing is that um, a lot of them have already been doing this work for a very long time. So, Hopefully, that will prompt a, um, they can get off to a running start. Right. <laughs> so it's it just, you know, when you have people like uh, Martha Maccabee and uh, yeah. Daniel Sidnor um, and people who do this all the time, every day, that they, Sheila Wright, they can give us a running start on some of the things that we should be instituting in the immediate and, and the, the, the reality is, this is a long game. It's not, yeah. it's not, uh, you know, a quick fix or a short term um, resolution, if you will. We, this is something we're going to have to work at and be consistent and diligent about doing for years and years to come because it, it took us years and years to get here. So, I, yeah, I don't know that there is a a simple solution, but. Um, but I can I can assure people that this is going to have um, many of the current council members' attention for quite some time, and we'll be working hard to make sure that this time it doesn't fall by the wayside. Yeah, well, it's that's important. Um, you know, you mentioned, and in the title of of these declarations, the racism is a public health crisis. The, those two words, public health. Um, Mm-hmm. And we've seen it in the, in the pandemic nationally, worldwide, even um, public health is a long term year after year, decade after decade um, uh, topic and agenda that has to be executed faithfully and it has to be well funded. So yeah. you know, with this legislation you're working on, it's one thing to say it and to even legislate it, but as we've seen with defunding of of agencies in different levels of government, it's a whole another thing to actually do it and execute it and do it well. Yes, there um, there have been some um, some counties across the nation, and there have been organizations here and don't uh, challenge me with them with doing yeah. with it. Here <laughs> stands for, but I think it's. The last two letters are racial equity, and so I think the first letter is government. So the government assistance of racial equity, maybe don't hold me to that. Oh, okay. But they <laughs> they um, they have worked with the city of Cleveland um, as they began to 
their work to uh, declare racism as a public health crisis. They work nationwide. And so there are institutions and um, organizations out there that have been long studying and um, implementing this work. So in some instances, we it's, it's a matter of political will, quite frankly. Right. Quite frankly, it's not. Um, it's not that we have to continue to do the research and and, and look for all of the the um, data to support what we've already what has become more evident than ever. So, what it's going to boil down to at the end of the day is political will, and mm-hmm. um, and, and that is what is probably going to be the most. Um, Definitely. You know, it comes down to ultimately it comes down to the annual budget. Yes. Yep. Where you the allocate your resources. Work. And and that is where you, what people say your budget shows where your priorities are. So Yeah. So that's um that that is a fact. And so I'm looking forward to that. And and that that in um in and of itself is demonstrative of the power of the purse of the council has the ultimate authority to approve or reject the executive budget. So mm. um, I am grateful to have had nine of 11 of um, my county council members sponsor this legislation. And so that um, certainly puts us at a position for a strong start. So. Yeah, it certainly does. Um, so at the party level, I, j- I wanted to, I don't know if you had a chance, probably not. Cause I just, I just, um, contacted you i think it was yesterday and i asked you if you'd do a podcast and you said how about tomorrow so you probably <laughs> <laughs> i appreciate that but you probably haven't a ch- had a chance to listen to my um, conversation with frank larose which was a couple of days ago but i think it's super important and it relates to your work on the party that we get enough poll workers on november 3rd oh wow yeah you, you, yeah so i i I am. Um, I definitely have some concerns. Um, I think I will. I will admit, although um, although we were opposite uh, party affiliations, I do believe that uh, Frank LaRose has done some uh, positive things in his uh, capacity as Secretary of State. And so I would never. Uh, and I'm I'm not the disparaging type, so yeah. I do. I and, and and I think the other thing that we as a collective have to recognize these are unprecedented times and so no one has a playbook on how to execute these things but mm-hmm. I do feel as if there are some things that we should um, that we should have given more consideration to uh, for the general election the, I am grateful for the opportunity to continue to in-person voting but as we continue to see resurgences of the COVID-19 and throughout the um, country. Right. It gives me pause. And, um, and it's, it, it's real, we're really in a real catch-22 right now, Tim, because while before the resurgence, I, I still felt like we should be preparing ourselves as if that was going to be the case. And so given that, I was really um, trying to encourage people to really push aggressively for vote by mail for vote by mail election. Right. Um, but then, <laughs> then you have, uh, the federal level where they're kind of playing games with the, uh, with the post office right now. And, and, mm. you know, the threats around, um, around the funding or, uh, uh, you know, the post office and things of that nature. And, 
um, that that is also um, scary to me. So, what is the current what is the current status of that? I, I never. I mean, I heard of that a month ago or so, but I haven't heard anything recently. Yeah, I haven't heard anything. I have to admit, I haven't heard anything recently. But that's the scary thing about this uh, federal administration is that you know things kind of can come out of nowhere and um, shake things up. And I, I just, I think people, we have to be prepared on both fronts. Mm-hmm. Um, the because that is uh, somewhat of a a thing that has kind of fallen under the radar. I'm still. Uh, I still lean more towards the vote by mail just for people's safety. Yes. Um, and not wanting to maybe risk their health to vote in person. Right. And to your original question, as far as like the finding poll workers, mm. um, when you look at the other, I don't know how closely you've been paying attention to some of the other elections. Yeah. Um, Milwaukee so, and I Kentucky. Mean, yeah, exactly. Where they're in, they're doing these huge consolidations and um, reducing the precincts down to, like what they did in Kentucky, yeah. um, the arena. Um, you know, those those things can have uh, some very, uh, they, they, they present some positive pros and cons. I mean, as you know, and if I'm being honest, I just have to say there, there, there are some pros and cons to doing that. I mean, um, we had to experience that in the general election here in Warrenville. We used to have I think five um, voting locations in Warrenville, and then in the 2019 general election, it was reduced to the high school. Hmm. Now, um, for for me and my neighbors, we used to literally be able to walk up the street to cast our ballot, like literally walk up the street. Well, now if you are a senior or you're a transportation talent, you don't have that luxury anymore. So, right. but on the flip side. The, um, the positive thing is everyone, you don't, you don't have to figure out where people have to go to vote if you are in one. So everybody in one so was voting at one location. So the convenience is just telling people all you have to do is go to the high school today um, was, was easy enough to do. So there are um, advantages and disadvantages as there are with everything um, in life. So mm. I'm not, <laughs> I hate to say it, I'm not, I, I'm not a hundred percent sure which which way is the best way. Um, I, I still feel like if we had some certainty that the post office um, that we didn't have any fear of the post office uh, being downsized or or um, played with by the federal administration, that that might be the best option. Um, and people should know that they can request their application right now. They don't have to wait for the Secretary of State to send it to them in September. And I think it should also emphasize, we can't emphasize this point enough, that it is a two-step process when you vote by mail. You do not get your ballot first. You have to request the application, complete the application, and then you will get your ballot. And um, one of the other discussions that I've been hearing in the news is not necessarily calling it voting by mail, but voting from home, which is just kind of semantics. But I think for people who don't necessarily trust the mail, they should also recognize they don't have to return their ballots or their application by mail. They can physically take them to their local board of elections mm-hmm. to ensure that they are getting to the um, to the proper place. 
because that is the one variable we have absolutely no control over is the post office in that time frame in which they will um, process your application um, from one place to another, from, from your application to getting your ballot in the mail. That is a, a time and window that no one can control except for the post office. So, so the, the process with the Ohio Secretary of State's office, if you wanted to vote from home, you can uh, go online right now request an application you'll get an application in the mail you have to fill that out send it in and then they're going to send you a ballot at some point yep okay that is how that is supposed to work and the other thing if you don't have access to um to online um access you can in in Cuyahoga county you can do the same thing by phone it's an automated system just out 216-443-VOTE that's 216-443-8683. And the automated system will prompt you through um, a, a very short uh, series of questions to generate an application that will be barcoded. And this is important for people to know. That barcode that will be generated will be specific to the information that you provide. So it will ask you your birth date, the um the numbers on your house address and then your zip code, I believe, are the three questions that you'll be um, you'll be uh, needed that you'll need to give over the phone, and you can right. punch those numbers in. And when it generates that barcode, Tim, it makes processing the application so much smoother and faster because now you don't have the um, human error component. Uh, to contend with, they can just kind of scan it and verify that, okay, that's him and the signature matches. Right. But if you do these mass uh, kind of voter registrations or mass uh, vote-by-mail applications out in the street, that's good, but it it won't um, have that barcode, so you run the risk of um, taking of it taking a little bit longer time to process. So. Yeah, makes sense. So with the virus and, and nobody really wanting to Accept um, a door-to-door canvasser these days. I imagine that that activity is is down, if not almost non-existent. Is that right? Yeah, it's pretty low. So what we've been doing in lieu of that at the party is suggesting um, people use postcards. Um, people still check in their mail. We also will be implementing door hangers to do lit drops. And naturally, phone banking is always. Um, always an option, but everyone, um, unlike you and you and I are so fans of being on the phone. <laughs> and so, so that also comes with its, um, with its own set of challenges yeah. and finding people willing to, to take that. It's because it can be, it can be a little bit, uh, daunting, the rejection that you may uh, get when you try to, you know, call someone um, on yeah. your phone and they're not, you know, not expecting it. But what I have found honestly is that because of the pandemic, um, people have been a little bit more receptive um, to talking over the phone about mm. some of these things. So, um, so yeah. So, and naturally, social media and email will still continue to do those things, of course. But sure. it's it's going to um, we're going to have to mount a more aggressive mail campaign, mail um, direct mail campaign, because that is the greatest return for our investment. We know exactly right. who the voters are. Um, even if they just look at the piece and throw it away, it's made an impression. You can't just throw your mail away without looking at it. You can kind of um, black out 
radio stations. You, you can turn the dial. It, 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 you know, an ad pops up on social media. You can click it out. But direct mail, you have to at least identify this as something <laughs> that you don't want. So it right. forces you to look at it before you even throw it away. So that is the best return on our investment. Got it. Got it. Um, so looking ahead to November, you know, the, there's some issues there that are out of our control that, um, other people, maybe the Republican party, uh, control, you know, the, the offices that, that, that govern these things, whether that's the post office or whether that's, um, how a process works in Ohio, what are, uh, what are the things that the party is the democratic party is keeping an eye on to make sure that it's done fairly. So we, and um, in collaboration with the ODP, we're, um, we're pushing the state legislators who actually are the, the, the authority on when elections can be held. Um, the secretary of state that, you know, determines how they are executed, but we're, we're trying to do our best to work collaboratively mm-hmm. um, to see if there's, any chance to um, to improve the access to uh, to for the voters to be able to deliver their ballots, maybe not necessarily heading all the way down to the Board of Elections, but maybe if we can expand that footprint of drop boxes, as we've seen that done successfully in other states. Um, so those are some of the things that the party is doing on, on the state and in support with, in conjunction with the county parties here specifically. Mm-hmm. As I mentioned, we are just um, we're, we're we're positioning ourselves as the center for all things <laughs> all things democratic related. So, if you're interested in working for the Biden campaign, call the Cuyahoga County Dems. If you're interested in working for um, some of our judicial candidates, call the Cuyahoga County Democratic Party. If you are interested in um, making phone calls, picking up people and taking them to the polls, please call us because we have um, started to develop a database that we can coordinate these things so that people aren't duplicating efforts and that seems to have been working very well so far. So if you're if you're new to if you're new to campaigning or political activity, if you call us, we'll put you in touch with people in your local community that we can um, connect you with so that everybody is covering as much territory as possible. And that's, that's the main thing we wanted. We want a real strong precinct by precinct, um, attack, if you will. Mm -hmm. And, and that, that, that's the goal from the, from the local party standpoint. Got it. Okay. Well, anything else we need to cover? I appreciate your time. We're going on 45 minutes now. I'm sorry. No, no, <laughs> this is good. I am, I am, um, I am part political, part pastor. So you know, so I'm never <laughs> lost for words. <laughs> and no. and not a bad rapper either. <laughs> <laughs> That is important to uh, to us as elected officials to make sure that we have the resources. I mean, when, when we talk about when we talk about COVID nineteen, we got um, two hundred fifteen million dollars from the federal government, and that that allocation was determined by the census. And we only get every we only get to do this every ten years, so it's so important that we make sure everyone is counted. So 
Yeah, and for those of you um, who are listening and don't know why I mentioned rap, uh, <laughs> Chantel has some YouTube videos, two of them, right? Um, one of them, yes. I, one of them is about the census, and what is the other one? Um, well, actually, there are a couple, but the census is the most recent yeah. one that kind of took a uh, kind of took off on its on on spread kind of spread about, and then um, I did one in 2018 um, to request that people vote. Democratic, and oh, yeah. It, it, yeah, and then um, and and I guess I'm on an every two year thing, and in 2016 I did one for voter registration. So if <laughs> if anyone's interested, they're uh, they're on my Instagram, um, and I don't have a ton of things. I'm I'm not the best with with social media. I'm so grateful for Ryan um, Puente, our executive director, because he keeps our social media active. But if That's you nice. are interested. Um, Chantel Brown on Instagram, that's S-H-O-N-T-E-L Brown. And please follow me. I'll just, more followers I get, I promise I'll post more. So, <laughs> <laughs> that's, <laughs> but that's where you can, you can find those. Um, so thanks, Tim. I appreciate it. Yeah, I was pretty impressed. I mean, to, I don't know how, you, how long it took you to come up with those, but you rolled them off like, like you've been doing it for years. <laughs> I've always had a love of poetry. I've been um, I've been in love with writing poetry probably since I could read and write. So around five six years old, um, this is probably when I started doing doing things like that. And it's funny that census rap was birthed from um, somewhat of a challenge from Danielle Sidnor. She had um, she had, she and I were in conversations. And um, she said, I don't know if you know, but the census is having a contest uh, for for uh, promoting the census. And yeah. I bet you could write a rap. And so, but the, the bad thing was, I think she told me on a Wednesday and it was due on a Friday. And, and I, so I missed the, I missed the deadline, yeah. but I promised that I would get it done. So I actually ended up posting it that Saturday. So it took me, took me about a day to put that together. <laughs> That's pretty crazy. <laughs> I I don't have yeah. that talent, so uh, it's good that there are people in the world with that kind of ability. I I, I am I am um, I am fortunate to have it, and it's fun. It's it's it, it's entertainment, and I think we have to. You know, we can't. We we're we're diverse. I mean, we're right. people. We're we're not one thing. And and some people, you know, expect an elected official to probably don't expect an elected official to be uh, sitting bars, if you will, or say a rap. But yeah. it has it, it avails me to people that may not just be interested in in a podcast, or right. you know, or right. or to people that typically wouldn't just listen to the voice of an elected official. So I think we have to find ways to creatively meet people where they are so that we can bring them into the fold because I am, um, I'm a firm believer in the more the merrier and um, we definitely need being the big tent party. I'm, I'm always trying to bring people into the fold. So Absolutely. Well, thanks again. I, uh, it was a pleasure talking with you, and I uh, look forward Likewise. to catching up sometime soon. All right. Thank you, Tim. Appreciate you for having me. You have a wonderful day. Thanks a lot. Take care. Thank you for listening. To find more information about the discussion in this or prior episodes, be sure to check the episode notes section in your podcast app. Get notified and automatically download the latest episode by subscribing to the Construction Employers podcast in the iTunes Store or in Google Play. 
This podcast is brought to you by the Construction Employers Association. Find us on the web at www.ceacisp.org.